Hey, 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 beings. You are listening to the Self-Tivity Podcast. I am your host, Danny, your self-investment storyteller. Today's episode features a special guest who will be a valuable participant in our Being to Being Self-Tivity segments. The Being to Being segments are a fun way to connect with beings who are open-minded, enjoys thought-provoking questions, and perspective-shifting concepts. I also invite entrepreneurs and business owners who have a thought, product, or service that contributes to our self-investment journey in the areas of personal growth, mindset, well-being, entrepreneurship, and or financial empowerment. Guests will participate in our Being to Being activities bi-weekly, so be sure to follow so you don't miss out on all the fun. Let's find out who's on today and what self-tivity experience they will present to us. Are you ready? Because I am. Today, I have someone joining me with this experience, and I have a very, very special someone because I know Tasia Saffold is here on the show with me. Tasia is the founder and CEO of Clear, a compliance software for home and daycare centers, taking the industry paperless and streamlining the licensing inspection process. And if you are a fan of Ready to Love, a dating show on the Oprah Winfrey Network, you may also know Tasia from season five in D.C., I'm so thankful to have this experience to connect with Tasia to learn about her journey of love and entrepreneurship. Tasia, how are you today? I'm doing so well. A little busier than normal, but always well. I'm really just trying to like deal with the aftermath of everything, get my life back on track. I just came back from Ghana and then I went to Houston for four to five days. So I'm literally just now getting my life <laughs> back on track. I feel like I'm still halfway jet lagged and just trying to get things in order. So other than that, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. Um, to start off the show, I, I gave a little background of who you are from, you know, my research or anything, but I would love for you to kind of share your story of um, just a brief intro of how you would introduce yourself in your own words. Mm. My name is Sophia. I would say first and foremost, I'm a native Chicagoan, born and raised. So that is my hometown. And I love Chicago a lot. I am a daughter of two, a child of two. So I have an older sister. I'm a graduate of DePaul University. I went to the University of Texas at Austin, where I got my master's. I am a reformed, I hail from education. And so I am an educator by trade and a market researcher and a new entrepreneur. So that is my newest passion child. So a little bit over a year ago, I left my corporate position and just jumped off the ledge. And now I'm just really immersed in tech startup, startup culture, um, black women in tech and a whole bunch of other industries that I really think um, are going to catapult my startup. I, of course, am in the daycare industry. And so I work majorly with home and center daycare owners. And so I always tell people that you're passing up these businesses every day on the street and they're the forgotten about business owners because you could be driving down the street and there's home daycares that are in there and these um, owners are operating and their business, they have a business. And so um, my goal is to bring them a tech solution. You know, they're not using the Stripe, they don't have websites. And so I want to be able to bring them a tech solution in a mostly paper-based um, industry. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. 
<laughs> that just brings me to one of the reasons why I really wanted to have an opportunity to connect with you. When I was watching the show, I just thought that you were a joy. I love, and you mentioned a lot that people kind of went in on you about your entrepreneurship and your job, but I was just like, yes, yes, yes. Like I was just there for it. And I'm also a Black woman who's a fan of technology. And so I just thought it would be awesome to kind of have you on to talk about that journey, especially, you know, leaving, I think you said it was a six-figure job and then going into entrepreneurship, but also kind of mix it in with our self-development journey and how that all kind of unravels with you. But before we get into the details, I would love to play a game with you. It's called Thought ER. And if you have been listening to the Self City Podcast, you guys are all familiar with Thought ER. But for those who are listening for the very first time, it is one of my self-tivity games. Um, self-tivity is an opportunity to invest in our health, our well-being, our mindset. And this one is kind of leaning into mind. I want to see how people respond to either a phrase, a question, or unpopular opinion. They're all random, and there's seven of them. So the goal is I will present either an opinion or a question. It's all random. To the guests on the show, they have one minute on the clock, and I showed Cecilia what my indicator of 10 seconds would be. <laughs> and so I have a little book here. So when she has 10 seconds left in that first minute, I'll bring this up and she'll wrap up that first one. You try to get to your full minute so you don't want it to be short. And then we'll go into the next one. So Cecilia, are you ready to play? <laughs> and you guys have grace have grace and mercy because she has no idea what i'm going to say no idea y'all <laughs> but this is the improv right this is the creativity this is what are your thoughts going to do in this emergency room so you have a thought presented to you you're going to kind of get to the end of that thought with a solution or an answer or just a perspective within one minute all right so i'm going to put a minute on the clock after I say the first one, okay? First, the role of therapy in entrepreneurship. It, it, it's honest, like it's a first a first line responder. You know, the um, therapy as an entrepreneur think is going to hit the market. How much money, how much revenue do you feel like it'll um, generate? And just generally speaking, there's a lot of self-doubt in entrepreneurship. And there's a lot more no's than yeses. And so with uh, therapy along with, I would just say for myself, just a general spiritual um, foundation, it's extremely important. Um, I think that just being guided in general, you know, there's many that don't believe in therapy and there's a lot of um, people as well that um, also have a spiritual foundation. So it definitely keeps you grounded and it'll keep you pushing to the next stage. One minute is so short. Oh I know, gosh. right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Next one. And I just want to remind you and anyone listening that you can be as creative as you want. So if I give an unpopular opinion or something that doesn't align with you, you can just take it and go wherever you want with it. Okay. So here's Here's the next okay. one. Okay. Entrepreneurs run the risk of losing an opportunity to meet their out their soulmate. One minute on the clock. How do you respond? Child, that is a lie. I always say that the man for you is going to be for you. And not only is he going to walk your journey with you, he's going to help you double down on whatever you have. I am a big component of that. I do not date men that sleep past 9 a.m. We're not on the same type of time. We're not shooting at the same baskets, okay? A man that is for you, he's going to understand your hustle and always say that if you have a partner in your life, everything should be a little bit easier, a little bit faster. You should be making more money. You got two brains going at this. So 
no, it's not preventing black women from doing anything. And I think that the right partner is going to inspire you and help you double down on everything that you have. I am, if you don't understand my business and what I have going on for a living and you're not supportive, it's a no automatically. Awesome. All right. Next one. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> and this is what I'm practicing too. As I'm listening to you all, I'm trying not to agree or disagree, but I keep saying like, hey, that was good. <laughs> I just want to be able, I want to practice listening and just taking it in. All right. Next one. Safety in love. Safety in love. One minute on the clock. What's your response? It's almost an oxymoron slash contradiction because love is supposed to make you feel safe, but there's nothing safe about love. You literally run, you can only control you and your behavior. So you cannot control whether somebody is going through a midlife crisis, whether they're still figuring themselves out, whether they lose a family member and they're going through a tough time. And so the journey of love in itself, it isn't safe because you can only control you. And so but also, you know, they always say love is kind and love should be a safe space. So it's, you know, it's just, it's just interesting in that I've done some very unsafe car rides in the, in the uh, love department. Okay. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but I've definitely um, been unsafe in love before. But I think that, you know, at, at the space that I am in, in now, I kind of want to be safe with a little bit of risk also. So I still have a little rebel in me. <laughs> That's in a toxic way, though. <laughs> I just need to be, you know, captivated. Yeah. All right. Next one. Self-awareness. One minute on the clock. How do you respond? Self-awareness. I feel that this journey, this year, in the past year, self-awareness has been like a model for me, even especially in my experience with the dating show. I, as my interviews afterwards, I've always said, you cannot keep pointing a finger. <laughs> it wasn't just him that was toxic. It could be you also. And so just in my therapy journey with, you know, some of my triggers, why am I the way that I am? I can be very moody at times. Just abandonment issues, you know, having people not show up for me, not feeling seen. All of those things really contribute to how I just generally operate in life. And so I think that that's just a very big part of that. All right. Next, the most valuable lesson. One minute on the clock, but the most valuable lesson. This year for me has been, it's never what you think it is and let the dust settle before you respond. Those have been my most powerful lessons of the year. I mean, in business, in friendship, in love, you really, it's never what you think it is. And controlling your emotions, if you can master that, you can master anything in life. And so those two things have been some of my biggest lessons. If You know, they always say, like, if you can't control what you put in your mouth, you can't control anything, right? And so I try to be very disciplined in a lot of things. But I think just generally speaking, being able to control how you respond to things. I once read a book, I think it's by Joyce Meyer. It said how to control your emotions so your emotions don't control you. And she talked about how she was erratic with her husband. And so, yes, that is one of my main goals and um, takeaways for the year. Control your emotions. <laughs> All right. Here's the next one. Two completely healed and self-sufficient people in a relationship. Two completely healed and self-sufficient people in a relationship. One minute on a no such thing. No such thing. And I really believe that, you know, no one's ever completely healed. And you can, you heal your traumas, but you move with them. You can always be triggered. 
I think that's one of the biggest myths. A lot of people think you're going to go on therapy, to therapy, you're going to sit on this couch. Number one, if you don't do the, the work, whatever you said when you were sitting on that couch is not going to help you. You have to actually be active. And so I am a firm believer that you don't heal from the wounds. You just learn how to strategize better. You learn um, tools to move forward with them. I don't believe in completely healed people. I don't believe that two people will ever be together to be healed. I just I just don't believe that it's, it's possible. You know, it's too much stuff. And if I have two psychology degrees. If you ever know about the uh, fundamental, like, human behavior and how the brain operates, those things that you experience in your childhood, it's literally a roadmap to what's actually, in, in like, imprinted in your brain. So I don't believe in being... Fully healed, so no such thing. <laughs> All right, two more, two more. We're almost there. <laughs> Next, social media, self-image, and self-love. How do they interact? Social media, self-image, and self-love. Women on a women. Women have it the worst. Number one thing we all know that it really can take a. Um, it comes from somebody who has like been a lot of different sizes. I've struggled with my weight. I've been at my happy weight. I'm actually at my happy weight right now. And these things that you see on social media, the surgery, the everybody got money, everybody driving a luxury car, all of these things. And it really can um, even not just affect how you feel about yourself, but make you have these unrealistic goals because that's what you think you should be doing. You know, I have a friend, she's 28. She's like, I want to be a homeowner this year. And I'm just like, why is that? Oh, because everybody pulling out some little keys and posting their keys on Instagram about how they just bought a new house, right? And so it even like derails general goals for people. And so I would just say, don't believe what you see on Instagram. Um, love yourself and just take your time with your own journey. All right. And last one before we get into the real questions. Okay. Love is a game. One minute on the clock. Love is a game. You know, I think love can really feel game-ish because I feel like a lot of the game and the chase is like when you're first dating, you want to keep that person on your toes and you want to, you know, you want to keep them intrigued and keep the love alive and things like that. And so when you're actually in love and you're with that person, it's still a lot of that. You still have to keep those things up. And, you know, I'm just very traditional in terms of the man should be the one that's pursued and that a woman, a woman should exude, you know, feminine energy and what that looks like in a relationship. And a part of that is really a game. A part of that is really a game. And I think that one day I'll tell you all about how I feel like I have multiple soulmates in life and that I kind of want a husband every two years. I know I'm a little weird on that, but I yeah, like, I definitely you don't have to talk about it. <laughs> yes, I, actually, I, I definitely think that um, love can feel like a game. Yeah. And thank you. That is the end of the game. Again, reminders to see it is <laughs> such a lovely job without having any preparation for these mini speeches. Those were good. And I'm happy that she, you involved, we were involved in my shenanigans. You did an awesome job. Um, you know, when I watch you on interviews, there's just such a, a royalty about you, um, especially when, you know, they, they speak about other people. I just love the way that you answered and in, in certain um, predicaments where you could have went like really left or really right. The drama, too blessed to be stressed, okay? Yeah. <laughs> And and I, and I like ready to love. Um, it it does feel like a game, and I've been kind of analyzing um the game aspect of it because it's very different than your average experience in a dating world. It kind it seems a little bit more stressful. Um, and it, and it's in a game type situation, so you don't really know if people are winning the prize in authenticity or just because they are on a game show. Um, walk me through 
your experience and how did this game type experience for love that could be categorized as a stressful situation or a situation that could be manipulated, how did you gain any benefit from being on Ready to Love? You know, the benefit of it is really what I learned and affirmed about myself. And I always say that if I had not gone through therapy before I was on the show, I would have been a effing wreck. It is, you become hyper vigilant about everything. For instance, on the show, um, I would say I was probably the curviest, right? And so when the girls would be like, oh, this guy is calling me and they're calling me, it started to make me feel like, okay, is this a, you know, a weight issue? Is it just like, I'm like, I'm not petite enough. Like what's happening with that. And when you have 10 women that are dating 10 men at the same time, that in itself makes you hyper vigilant about everything about you, because now you're constantly thinking, what is his type? And am I his type? It could be sense of humor. It could be hair. I was like, hmm, maybe he's like curly hair, you know, maybe that's a thing. And so Everything just makes you hyper-vigilant about um, everything you are. And so I think that I, I really am grateful that I had done my work. And so the things that didn't really bother me or knock me down the way that they could have had I not um, gone through therapy first. Like, I was so happy and healed and ready for the next stage in my life when I um, got on the show. So that was generally it. But in terms of my um, experience, one of my closest friends, uh, is Kyra from the previous season before us. Oh, and so she kind of, yeah, she kind of called me like, girl, they coming to DC. I was like, click, bye-bye. Talk, <laughs> talk to you later. She was like, no, it's going to be a good time. And honestly, so many people ask, well, did you have an inside gateway to go get on the show because Kyra was on it? And I absolutely didn't. I applied with the hundreds and thousands of people that applied. I didn't get any favoritism or extra benefits because I, um, I knew Kyra, but... Um, she tried to prepare me for the schedule, tell me how things kind of went. And even she was like, what the hell is going on with your season? We never experienced anything like that. So nothing could have ever prepared me for the general, you know, just concept of the show, the scheduling, like just having to go on dates, you know, all of those things, nothing really could have prepared me for it. I would say it was very stressful. Like even if you look back at some of my green screens, my skin was a disaster. I was so stressed out. I wasn't meal prepping. I wasn't drinking my gallon of water. It was a very big time commitment. I'm not sure if anyone could have done it if there wasn't a such thing as remote working or, you know, um, not having to go into the office. So I feel like COVID actually gave people an opportunity to participate in the show. So yeah, but I think the nugget of it all was that when people were not choosing me or when men were subliminally just kind of saying that like they had moved on with other women or they were interested in the other women, Girl, I was cool as a cucumber. So I, um, even in my personal life, I feel like, you know, whatever is for me, you know, is for me. And so that was really, it is really a humbling experience. I would say the aftermath of the show really um, lets me know that in that it was very stressful because now that we do not have the show as a variable and we all go out and hang out together, they're like, they trying to spend the block a little bit, girl. And I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> but you're not able to see me outside of my element. Now you get to see me in a new space. And so I think that that actually affirms that that show is a very stressful and unique way to date. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that um, that stood out to me is that you repeated how none of the men 
knew what you do, knew anything about like your job as you know you would always mention like hey they, you know these men if you ask them they went, they couldn't tell you what I do and I thought that was very um significant and I, I could relate to that because if I am dealing with anyone and it's been a week or a month and they haven't asked me about my passions <laughs> they haven't asked me about my job or my career it's almost like one of those subtle red flags to me because oh, it looks yeah. like they could be doing everything else right but you don't really want to know who I am talk to me a little bit more about that like did that bother you that they didn't know what you did or was it something that served as a red flag because you still dealt with them even like for instance I think it was Phil Phil was somebody that you had a, a connection with and he didn't know about your job but you still had a connection with him or tell me a little bit about yeah. I think I definitely started getting a lot of feedback that I was just like so corporate-ish and that's actually the total opposite of you know, who I am. So I thought that that was um, odd. But I think that what in terms of my actual job and like what I do, that is so important to me. And it really is because of the sacrifice that I made. It's almost like it's it's really it's a part of me. It shaped me. It changed me. Doing like starting a business changed me. And so I think that that's just very important. But, you know, I meet a lot of guys who have actually push back a little bit to say I'm at work all day and my job is very stressful so this is why I'm not asking you about work because I don't want to know about I don't want to talk about work and I could receive that actually I can receive that and also I think that a lot of people probably over 75 percent of people work jobs that they really just don't care to talk about. It's nothing that they love doing. They just went to school for it or picked up a trade and that's just kind of what they do. And I fall in that 25% where it's coming out of my pores. Like, you know, even yesterday, we went, Libby and I went to a, um, a happy hour or what was like brunch and Ty and his uh, homeboy was at the uh, the bar across the street. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, we're going to meet y'all over here. So I go over there and like Ty and Libba are down there having a conversation. I'm talking to his friend. And when I tell you me and this man had such a great conversation and he, of course, knew Ty from the show. And I said, oh, let me stop. They say all I do is talk about my job because he had got me going. And he was asking questions. He's like, oh, but wait a minute. So what are you going to do with the government? And so I said, look, don't get me started because I could talk about this all day. But it just lets you know that there's a lid for every pot and somebody's going to be able to appreciate and have that dialogue with you. And so I definitely knew that I was um, shooting at the air and that um, that wasn't necessarily the focus of the guys on the show. But also I want to acknowledge that I wasn't as open as I feel like I could have been. You know, a lot of one, one of the guys said, how come I'm just now finding out you from Chicago? Anybody would know that I'm from Chicago. So either you're not listening or I maybe am not just being open with who I am, what I care about, what I love, and what other things are important to me outside of work. So I actually, you know, I do receive that I could have been a little bit more open about who I am. Because even a lot of the women, they had experiences with um, exes, being married, childbirth, not wanting to have kids domestic violence, all of these things. And I was like, I don't know, y'all. Y'all ain't about to be on my business. Like, you know, you, my, I got a lot of dark baggage, okay? Like, I'm not 
ready to dump all of that on. And, you know, in hindsight, I think that that's what they wanted to see of me. But I am very guarded with those type of things. And I got to see how long you're going to stick around. You can't even stick around enough to know what job I work. Then I'm not going to dump that. I'm not going to dump that on you. And that's, I'm not sure if you watched Kojo's interview. Kojo said that I'm trying to avoid the dance, that the dance in the beginning is, is what really like seals the deal and makes it, you know, a special thing. And he said that I was, I want to skip to the good part. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I did see that, that interview and I find it interesting because as I listen to you, you do come off as healed. You know, you do come off as someone who's done the work. In my perspective, I feel like when you are being who you are, which you kind of alluded to, that you your work is you. And I can relate to that. Like when you're passionate about something and you connect everything that you do to who you are, then there is not a disconnect, right? And so if I'm dealing with someone who might not have that same perspective, like they just, because you got to think about it. Like if you perform a job just to perform it, then that's also goes into your mindset about what you would choose to do. You're just doing it because of X instead of it being something that is intentional, something that you are involved with and so if you are who you are and you freely talk about work and that is a part of who you are you just start to unwind that story and like you said someone who's going to be able to connect with you would be okay with that you know and I think in the beginning it should be some type of I just want to get to know like that original intent and passion of I want to get to know you should be across the board like you shouldn't even have to feel restricted in doing that where they can only think about themselves. Like, I don't want to talk about work, but I can hear you talk about what you're passionate about. Like, I feel like that's fair. So I felt like... You... I think... Go ahead. Sorry. I think the main thing with that is that when you really take just a little bit of time to get to know me, you'll realize is that I'm not talking about work. Mm -hmm. I'm actually talking about my life, right? Yeah, yeah. The, I'm talking about I'm a risk taker. I'm trying to tell you that I'm a risk taker, that I'm a renegade that I'm determined, that I've overcome obstacles, but you're, but all you hear is work. And if you, I don't know why I'm getting choked up. If you actually get to know me, you'll realize that um, I'm actually not talking about my work. I'm talking about my life. So yeah, um, yeah sorry about that. No, no, no. <laughs> it's because it's, it's so ingrained in me, right? And so if you, if you genuinely know me, you will know that I'm actually not talking about my job. I'm talking about the sacrifices I made. I'm talking about poverty that I grew up in. I'm talking about seeing my mother struggle, seeing my father be a drug addict, losing him, not having people come to my graduation, but I'll go to a baby shower instead, right? Like I'm talking about all the things that I've overcome. And you have to know me enough to say that when I tell you that I left, like saying that I left my job and I'm now an entrepreneur, that's like the soundbite of my life, <laughs> you know? So a lot of people are not able to hear that. You have to take a little bit more time with me. So yeah, girl, what am I doing on here? <laughs> Listen, because I see you. I see that exactly because I resonate with it. And I think that's the connection, right? Like, because that's one of the things in the back of my head. It's like, you don't want to tell somebody off the bat, like, hey, you got to mm -hmm. ask me about my stuff. You want them to already know and you want that to be embedded in them that they care enough right because if you yeah. can't get through that first layer by even caring enough to know how can you get to that other stuff like it is a part of you like the, the choice to be like and I and entrepreneurship might not be for everyone and I feel like it's and I love to talk about entrepreneurship because in itself it's like we are our own business right we become ownership of ourselves we become ownership of our emotions become ownership of what we want to do and how much profit we want to see where do we want to see an increase that's us being our own business so the entrepreneurship is almost like a metaphor to your yeah. own life 
it's like an analogy for your own life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So when I see you, you talking about that, I was like, it's easy for me to see that. Like, yeah. like <laughs> I don't see, like, what do you mean? Like, why she talk about her job is because people have so many different lies that they want to, to put on to other people about their stories and about their experiences instead of just taking it for what it is. Like, if I want to experience you and experience you as a person, I'm not going to go dig into my experience to counteract what is what you have going on with you. I want to see you for who you are. So I'm like, you know what? I like to see like when, they, when you hear throughout the show like to see is dope to see is dope and it's like yeah but you are in a different you are in a different bracket as far as mindset and what you are and it's like when people are like some of the and i know and, and i think there was a lot of um great people I, and I'm, I'm from baltimore so I, i'm probably a little biased but i really okay. like you know, people who um were on the show this season but there when i observe life i see that there are people who are kind of in the everyday like they it's almost kind of robotic like they do like the typical things like you know I'm gonna do this and that and they're not really involved and intuitive and very like alive it's kind of like sorry no no I just want to say this last point but not seeing you as somebody who was actually alive so you're not it's not gonna be that many people you're gonna be able to connect with even if they kind of put you in you know in a situation um it it has to be like one of those I don't want to speak to you who your life is but that's how I kind of took it but go ahead go ahead I don't think it takes away from the fact that other people have strikes and you know a lot of people told their story but it's like I'm trying to tell you a different love story of me right and so what I'm it's like my love story where you were like wanting me to tell you about my mom and my life and my, you know, all this stuff and trials that I have in my life. It's just wrapped a little differently. You know, yeah. you have to kind of peel back those layers. And I think that because the process was so short, it's only 10 weeks. It really kind of prevented that. And I'm like, baby, I'm not warm enough to week six or eight. You know, at, the, at this point, I think I was kicked off at week seven. So by week six, I just was like, okay, I kind of can, so I think it's really about the storyteller. It's like, that's kind of like what I throw out to see if I'm gonna get you on a hook. It's like, you have to be able to understand me and my life and my work. And it's just like, I tell the story a little bit differently when you, and it's not work, it's not wrapped in a work box, but that is genuine. That's generally how I start to try to test the water to see if you're interested or if you are not. So just that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to label it as like somebody's talking about their work if you stay surface level like if that's how you see people yeah. you, it's easy for you to stay yeah. there but like but the core of it is that you want to connect with a real person and I feel like that real people they are okay with just hearing like it's in love if, if I'm dealing with someone in love like one of the the number one priorities is that you have to see me and if you only if you hear a word and then you can't see how to get through a conversation, you know, with me to see and learn why I even want to talk. Why do I want to talk about it, right? Why is it important? Because you're still a person, you know what I mean? Like some people don't like their job, but for someone to talk about work, it, it says something, right? Because it, it's something that they like. If you don't get uh, come across people who might, who like yeah. that, you know, why do they like it? And I don't, you know, so we go a little bit um, trajectory. So you, you went into entrepreneurship, and you left uh, your corporate, was it a corporate job or just a, a job that you were working? What was the trigger for that? So I feel like in all the um, journeys that I make in life or all the just the different moves or different chapters, it's a feeling that I get. I actually, this is my sixth year here in the DMC. I've been getting the itch to move for the last two to three years. 
but it's not that feeling that I get. I remember when I I applied right from undergrad to go to grad school, told my mom, like, I'm moving to Texas. Like, the clothes on my back, I moved to Texas, you know. Then I moved to New York, and I came back. To, so, and I moved back to the DMV. And so those things, it's a really a feeling that I get. And I said to myself, where I was a director of student services, and that job flew me all across the world. I went to Poland. I went to Germany. I did all the cities, the local college fairs and everything. I had autonomy. I had all the, I had the computer, the company card, the, you know, the cell phone, all of that stuff. It was really the epitome of like corporate job. No real supervision, nobody, you know, micromanaging you. But I was like, what would I want to do after this? Mm. I couldn't see it. And I have a friend today. She said, you know, you told me you wasn't going back to that job <laughs> because the basically what happens at my job, um, was getting acquired we were in the process of getting acquired and actually texas a&m bought us out and so now they have a campus here and as soon as we got word it took a year for them to actually do the acquisition but as soon as we got word i said oh i'm not staying on board i'm not i'm not staying here this is the ticket out and that's i had that feeling that that was the last stop on that bus i couldn't think about what would i be next a dean what would i be like i couldn't think of what else i would want to do next in that realm and I knew that it was time to um to jump and when COVID hit in March I don't know if you remember the peak of COVID when I tell you everybody and their mother were dropping gems everybody was going live everybody was having all type of podcasting <laughs> and I was just reading and listening to everything and I felt like that was God leaving the, the breadcrumb trail like okay my child this is where you're going I mean, I was subscribed to just about everything. I mean, I would put them on notification. And I had a couple of uh, close friends that were in the tech star, very successful in the um, tech startup world, had graduated from Y Combinator, had, you know, tech stars, everything, and had raised millions of dollars. So I was savvy to it. But when I tell you I was a student for the whole first six to eight months of COVID, I read, I joined every podcast, every person that went live, every little webinar that I could. And that's how I really got hip to what it takes to build a startup. What do you need? Um, I apply, I, I graduated from Founder Gym. So that was an accelerator program. How to raise money, what are investors looking for, how to do a pitch deck. And I mean, this was like grind season for me. And so I jumped off the boat and I was working from home. So I definitely, I had enough time to really do my homework and I did not play about it. Yeah. I did not play about it. I signed up for all type of things. This was when it was really the peak of everybody trying to figure out how are they going to do things if they couldn't do it in person anymore. So it was just a wealth of knowledge all on Instagram. And yeah. I joined just about everything I could. <laughs> So, okay. So let's sit here for a little bit. When you were looking at everything, did you ever invest money in courses or did you do a lot of like free content? What did you in, invest in? Which did you find the most profitable? Is there any ones that you want to share like in the, the tech startup realm or in um, yeah, tech startup? One of the most helpful things, and they actually don't offer it anymore. Y Combinator um, had a thing called startup school. And it was a um, online platform and it's kind of like a portal and you set up an account, you put your tech startup and what you're doing and how much you're raising. And there's a thing to say, how many weeks until you launch? And so you would put in six to eight weeks and it'll say, that's far away. How can we get it back to, you know, four weeks or two weeks? You know, because I think it's basically like if you can't launch it in a month or two, maybe the idea isn't as solid as you 
once. So that held me accountable. And then the startup group, they had sessions um, where you could meet with founders all across the world. And everybody signed up for a day. I think it was either Tuesdays or Thursdays. And mine was always on Thursday. And when I tell you, when you are an entrepreneur, hearing about other people's business, it just gives you goosebumps. You're like, wow. And I met so many people that had amazing ideas. And that really just, that was a free resource. That was a free resource. But it, it was like a study group. It held me accountable. You got the opportunity to pitch your idea bounce off of each other. We all got on like WhatsApp and on Slack and everything and LinkedIn. And so that was really the most valuable resource because you learned, but it was active as well. You had to go, you can go into the startup school and be able to take sessions with people and it will follow up with you. Like, okay, uh, we had accountability partners. So you were able to subscribe people to it. And so when I would fill out what my weekly goals were, my sister would get an email my mentors will get an email and you get to pick the people that you feel are most important to you. It's so funny. I'm actually going to get up and get it. Um, uh, Founder Gym, my um, com- the startup place that I graduated from, it asked one of our assignments was to uh, write a note to ourselves on and put it on our door before we walk out the house. Okay. And so mine said, I promise to give 100% to Founder Gym because mama need a house, baby need some shoes. The world needs you. And so these were resources. Founder Gym, of course, is a paid program, but those were the little things that I did to just keep my nose to the ground. I mean, I really um, was immersed in that space. And so I had tons of accountability partners. And it's just, I mean, my engine was running. (laughs) I just was so amped up about it. So, yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Um, One of my passions is to really connect people with resources um, that can help them on their self-development journey. And sometimes that looks like, you know, their entrepreneurial journey. Um, And so anytime, you know, there's a a resource, I'm like, hey, tell us about it, especially if there's a benefit for you. Besides those two, and this could be an overall, what type of investments have you made in yourself and how have you seen a return on one or two of those investments? And this could be in the areas of love or in, in your entrepreneurial journey or just overall. What type of investments have I made in myself and what what return have I seen on them? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things, um, put therapy as a cash cow, that it, you will always see an, a return on investment with that. Um, you, you, and it may take a time to get a good one, but I definitely think that therapy, you will almost always get a return on your investment. I definitely really invested in that. But also accountability was a very big thing for me. I think that discipline, I'm part of the 5 a.m. club. I'm not sure if you read the book. I think it's called, I think it's called the 5 a.m. club. And it talks about a group of people that's getting up at 5 a.m. And what sets you apart from others by being a part of that club, right? And um, I'm definitely a 5 a.m. or I've always been um, a 5 a.m.er. And so I think that just consistency, which I was not normally huge on, I can be a little bounce all over the place. I need to be kind of stimulated. So I wasn't really seeing things through a lot. I once before this, I had a startup called Care Tribe. It was an on-demand. Um, yes, it was an on-demand babysitting service. And I did not see that through. COVID hit right when I was launching it. And I literally was like, I don't know if I can do this. But what I did learn from 
Y Combinator and Startup School and a lot of other resources like Valence. Is it uh, Black Girls? Black Girls something. I'll have to send you my list of all of my resources, but it was also about like the chicken and the egg concept. And so what I didn't realize is that when you are doing a marketplace, meaning there's people that are buying services and people that are offering services, it's almost like which one comes first and how are they feeding each other? If you have a, a marketplace where I'm asking parents to come and get babysitters, are you going to build a babysitters first or are you going to build a parents? And then if you have the parents and you ain't got no babysitters, then you have a part. So I was like, oh, so I was actually applying to be all of a part of these accelerators and they were like, Oh no, baby, marketplaces, that's a no-no because you also have this middleman thing. And that's one thing that I learned while being immersed in um the startup culture is that we would just read, they had libraries and just seminars of all of these gurus talking about, you know, the worst mistakes of startups, you know, the most likely things that you can trip over. And so those type of things really, really held me accountable and kept me in the game. So I would say my biggest return on my investments was accountability and consistency. You can be anybody in this world with consistency. And I really haven't realized that until after I started this like show stuff, right? And you know, it's like all of this influencer stuff that's happening. And when I tell you there's this girl on Instagram and I followed her and all these people were like, you don't never comb your hair. You don't never comb your hair. And your apron always dirty. Three million followers. I just checked on her. Listen, because there's people out here that don't comb their hair. And there's people out here that's cooking in the kitchen with a dirty apron. You can be whatever you want to be. <laughs> however you want to be. Okay, by being, just being consistent. Everybody in the comments was like, girl, I wish you calm your hair. You still up there with that rabbit ponytail. The girl is at 3 million followers. Listen, you <laughs> spoke to it. You spoke to it because I think we, we wanted it to be this magic pill and, and it can be overstimulating, right? Everybody is doing something. But if you just do that one thing and you're consistent with it, it does not matter. And I knew this when I would hear people talk about, I think it's like mumble rappers or rappers that they felt like weren't good compared to like old school rappers. But these rappers were making money and they were out there. One was because they had the marketing and the other because they was consistent and they believed in themselves. Yeah. You, oh, that's all yeah. you really need is a belief in yourself, some consistency, because everything else would just fall into place with the laws. <laughs> like you, if, yeah. you keep, if my children keep asking me for something, <laughs> eventually they might, get, they might get to it because of the consistency see the persistence and, and the belief that they can get it right and so if, like, <laughs> you, hit it, you hit it when you was like you just need consistency like because for one if she just being who she is I'm not sure who it is but if you if you want to share with me like um off off the show but I, I would love to see it because I would you know want to see that experience I love when people are doing <laughs> what they want to do they are who they are. huh yeah and you know uh, the biggest thing also is that I'm just a hip-hop head and um I was just watching one of Charlemagne's interviews and it was Soldier Boy on there. And he was like, y'all gotta stop talking to yourself like that. It's no, why is this happening to me? Woe is me. I think the question with Charlemagne is like, what is your, uh, basically like your most irritating noise or whatever. And he was like, I hate when people complain. You can do anything. Like stop telling yourself that you can't do it or why is this happening to me? And so I want to add to that in terms of um, my biggest investment. It's also like, y'all want things that you don't have and you're not willing to do the work. I watched an interview on Rick Ross and he was saying when he go to the wing stop, he sweep the floor. He mm. clean up his own, you know what I'm saying? His own franchises. And it's like, y'all, y'all want the followers. Y'all want all this money. Y'all want to do all this stuff. 
and you're not willing to do half of what Diddy was doing, Rick Ross was doing, even these rappers, they was out here girl, passing out mixtapes and y'all was laughing at them. Right. Y'all was laughing. I think Denzel Washington, he did an interview and he talked about how um he his first date with his wife, uh, he didn't have no bus money to get home. She had to call him a cab or something. So it was like, you are not willing to do what it's, you know, what it takes, but you want the result. So I am also a big believer, even when in some of my interviews, when I was working with corporate, they always said, like, what are your biggest strengths? I could be whatever you want me to be. I could be in the C-suite, in the boardroom. I could go run and get the coffee because I don't wear my ego in the workplace. Yeah. You know, and that's the same thing with my business. I will get down and dirty. I know when I roll out this pilot by the end of the year with the Virginia government, I'm willing to go knock on people's doors. Yeah. And that's just that on that. I'm willing to go knock on people's doors. And so I think that you have to be willing to do the work also. A lot of people just waiting for a miracle and yeah. trying to take the short way out. You know, a lot of times, you know, they see these people, Google's offering these classes and you think this $2,000 going to skip you right to the end. Mm -hmm. You know, but you didn't see those other steps that are in between. And so Rick Ross is actually really big on talking about that, how he's like, y'all got to get down in the dirt, <laughs> and, you know, and go and get it. So, yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up that example about um, Denzel and his wife, because he didn't have the bus ready to get home. But who is he today? You know, it's, it's, it is an innate, it's some innate qualities in people where you can see their wealth, even though they might not have it tangibly. Oh, yeah. That tangible well. So I have a scenario set up for you because it's kind of, it, it comes right into this because I heard you okay. say something <laughs> on one of your shows. I was like, I wonder what she was saying that is. So here's the scenario, okay? You meet a man. He shows interest in your in your business. He's disciplined. He wakes up before nine, <laughs> makes you laugh. <laughs> he makes you laugh and he actually connects with you. He makes a reasonable amount of money to, to take care of you. He shows up and loves you, but he makes 30,000 less than you. What is your response? Do you continue to be with him? That's taxes. 30000 is taxes. That's nothing. That's nothing. 30000 is not enough money to trip over. And if you say you say he's making good enough money to take care of me, and he's probably taking pretty good care of himself. I always tell these women when you think about it, if he could put a roof over his own head when he was single, he could put a roof over y'all head. Put in one more person, the house not going to raise the rent. You know what I'm saying? So like this person can probably take good care of themselves. A 30000 tax bracket, you may, I wouldn't even see that money. That's literally taxes. So yeah, I mean, that's not enough of a gap for me to be like, I do think that there are gaps that equate to a lifestyle change, but that's a different story. Okay, right. so talk about either of us. <laughs> okay, here's part B. Here's part B. So okay. now he he lost his job. He's still the same okay. person. Do you help him financially? Absolutely. Is this, this my husband or my boyfriend? This is a boyfriend. This is a boyfriend. This is somebody you're dating. You're dating on that journey of love, but he checks off all the other boxes for you. But but the money, this happened with the money. Would you help him financially as a boy, as your boy, as a boyfriend or to his girlfriend? Yes, I would. I would help him financially. However, it definitely is a max on that, not in a, a numerical, like not a number or anything, but more so that I don't think a woman can lead in that way. And let me tell you this: I just had a conversation with my friend about yeah, because a lot of women. If they, they fall on hard times, I know they're going to be ghosts. And I said, it's not that the woman is ghosting you. You men handle not being financially well 
terribly. Y'all are depressed. You're terrible to be around. You're effing miserable. And you're a horrendous person when you don't got your money right, okay? It's really not that we are just don't want to be around you and we just want to jet, you know, go to, you know, just move away from you. It's more so that you, they handle it terribly. And it, it also can be subliminal. It's not that they could be treating you wrong or whatever, but it's like, you're sad, you're down. You know, you just move. It, it's, I've been there before and it's a terrible, terrible thing to be. And so I think that if men would also handle those situations better, women will probably actually be a lot um, more supportive. If you ever been with a man that had it and now they did it, yeah, that's that's it's not a it's not a happy experience. Yeah, especially that's, if you had it. Yeah, the person, the being, the individual. You know, I'm um, what was the show? Dang, I can't believe I forget the show name. The 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 Cosby Show, the the next show, the what is it? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The college show with um, oh, um uh, with uh, the, like. Whitney. Huh? Yeah, with with Whitney. Is that Whitney? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Her. 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 She. She. She says a line. Yeah. She says a line in the show. Um, I don't know word from word, but the idea was that she can have a rich man. You know, she. You know, or she can have a rich man because the qualities of that rich man. Like, if the person had the money, you know, before, right? That means they have the ambition. They had everything that they needed to get there. They lost it. They can use those same qualities to get them back to whatever they need. So it's really, it's not even the money. It's never really about the money. It's really about the attributes that that person carries and if they utilize them them appropriately, you know what I mean? Basically, that smart man is never going to be broke. And that is the truth. That's the truth. And let me say this as well. You meet these corporate men and they making big bank and they doing all of this and they got it for themselves. And if a natural disaster emergency happened, they wouldn't know what to do. I always date a man with a little bit of grit on him because you got to know how to go fend for that money. Period. You know, if something happened, what you should be calling your mama for diapers? Like, do you know how to actually make money? Do you have a trade? Do you have a craft? Do you have something that you can do? And you meet these, especially in the D.C. area. You meet these suited and booted, and they don't have no personality, just lame dumbzo. They don't have any personality. And also, they, they don't have character e- either. You know what's the saying? Um, smooth seas don't create good sailors. Like, you need a man who done been through a little bit of something, you know? So he got a little bit of grit on him to be able to make a dollar out of 15 cents. And so I always look for men that are like visionaries, leader of the pack, the shepherd, not the sheep. Because that's going to get you way further than somebody who just, you know, I say that a, a invoice is way different than a direct deposit. Yeah. It's a whole you different know, ball. <laughs> I'm glad you made that um, distinct distinction because people would assume that someone who has a lot of money, that they are a certain character, like they got it all together. But it's really about that person. You know what I mean? Like, if they have that little, if they've been able to work with in a poor situation and, and make wealth out of a poor situation, that goes to like what they can do in a wealth situation. But if they just got an opportunity and they just ran with it, they got the money, but they don't really have all of that character in them. You know, like you're dealing with two different people. So you can't always go by, oh, he got a good job. He got a lot of money because what's behind all of that if, if it all goes away? I remember when I was younger, I used to hear these stories about like, um, it was mostly related to like, um, it was like white families, but I would hear that, you know, their money would be gone or something happened. They would just jump off a bridge or like give up on their lives, life or anything like that. And it was because they didn't have the money yet, but it was like, 
what was beautiful about and I, and I hate that we that black people had a struggle and everything, but it's the the beauty in the struggle is that like you can have a struggle situation and don't take your life, but make life out of it based on that that character um, that built through the struggle. So you know, I'm I'm here and there with us having a struggle, and I appreciate the struggle. I I would love for us to not have one. You know what I mean? Just live life. Above. Yeah, yeah. But you know what's too? Um, I have a great example of this. Is that I was dating a guy, and he actually did lose his job, and it was always like, "I'm good, I'm good, I don't need no help, I don't need no help." And so every time I would call him or we would talk, he was kind of like outside wind blowing in in these airpods and i'm like what are i just finally maybe about like two weeks i'm like what are you doing and he was like i decided to start uber eating so he would ride his bike to uber eat and i said insert person's name you have two vehicles at home you have two vehicles put one of your vehicles on turbo he's like oh what's that it's basically like uber when people come into town people need a vehicle and he was just like, oh, you don't know how to make money. You're working too hard for that little change when mm. you have income right sitting in your in your garage right now. Where you to this day, this man was like, yo, I never forget what you told me. I never forget you. I never forget you. And it's like, of course, we're no longer dating. We're no longer, you know, a thing if, if we ever were. But it's just like, you got to know how to use your, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. that's, a, that's another key. Yeah. Biking. You're biking in the brick of winter and you have a vehicle that's sitting there in your backyard. So you can put that, I think it's Turo, Turo. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you can, you know, just place the car there. All you have to do is pay for it, get it clean. They have these like a lot cheaper setup. I think he got like three, four, five of them on there now. Like, bro, you have some hustling backwards. Like, you clearly don't know how to make no money, you know? So I think that, and it it wasn't, I think it wasn't in a demeaning way. And I think that you could see that because he, Clearly now is like so appreciative. It's like, you know, man, I never forget. You put me up on a lot of game, you know, and that's the mentality that you need from somebody who has lost their job. Yeah. You I don't know. want you to lose her. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry to um, talk over you. I just feel passionate <laughs> when you be talking. Um, <laughs> and it could work two ways, right? Because I think that's why partnership and relationships in my opinion are so important because it could have been the man and his leadership right his mindset would be that hey I have the situation and how I make this work and so he did work towards it right and then you know like you said before the breadcrumbs were you know since he's working towards it the breadcrumbs from God is like hey I'm gonna put to see it in your ear for this churro and then he appreciates it and he executed right and that's that's, that's one way we, we want that leadership the other way is that you know sometimes that dynamic between a man and woman when you lose your job and you're stressed sometimes you don't you don't think um on top of your toes you know because you you're kind of in the emotional state you know we're in a world where it's you know it's driven by money and power so you're like how am I make my my neck I'm just going to do until something happens and so having that that woman as a partner or even a friend to share resources why it's so important for us to build communities and to be okay with sharing information because that's how we build the overall community we don't have bums out here because we are actually okay with sharing information so the next person can win because if everybody's winning then what you know there's no reason for us to you know take from people like with a poor mentality you know what I mean because everybody's rich in their mind everybody's rich in what they do then there's no thieves you know no no one to take away your joy because everybody feels fulfilled um but um I don't want to take too much of your time so I got uh two last Mm -hmm. questions for you um I like to talk about investment as it relates to investing in ourselves um sometimes we invest time in order to have a return on um 
the time that we invest in studying and learning anything in life. How have you wasted your time and what would you share with people um, from that experience of wasting your time? I would say, number one, just I wasted a lot of time, honestly, just not liking myself. I was talking to one of my friends earlier today, and I said, girl, if I could get back the years I spent obsessing, overweight, being an overachiever, being a perfectionist, you know, I think that um, that's a lot of ways that I, I wasted my time. I, I, I straddle with, like, time being wasted because I think that there's lessons in everything and I don't know if I truly believe in a waste of time I think that even in the thick of it when things are not going well where you thought you could have been doing something more productive there is beauty in that and I always tell my friend and I mentioned something to this world you always want to skip the storm the storm is what really waters the grass. It waters the grass and builds beautiful things. And so I really, um, I don't know if I really believe in wasted time. Wasted time. I think that there can be like misuse of time or just like yeah. not be as productive. But even now, I think that I appreciate so much more of my life and my happiness and my smile and the peace that I have in my life from those unsettled moments where I was overly anxious and depressed and just worried for no reason. And so um, there's beauty in that also. So I don't really think I believe in waste of time. I love that. I love it. <laughs> so Tasia, I I truly enjoyed you today. I'm really thankful for you coming on. Um, I want you to um, share yourself with people who are listening so they can connect with you. And not like I had the opportunity to experience you. I hope that people can follow you on your platforms, check out your website, follow your um, your journey um, with the tech solution. And I, I hope we can connect with that um, and talk about that more because I definitely, you know, just want to see you win in that area. I'm, I'm such an advocate for technology and Black women in tech is like, you put me in a whole different world, you know? Um, but yeah, just uh, go ahead and share how people connect with you and follow your journey. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So my personal Instagram is to see it. He is in Thomas. I S is in Sam. I A. And um, it's XVS. So X is in Xylophone. V is in Victor. S is in Sam. So to see XVS um, on Instagram. I have my business page, which is Get Clear. And that's clear with the E. So G E T C L E A R E on Instagram. And for all my fragrance, fragrance enthusiasts, I have a new page, which is actually picking up a lot of traffic. I'm very excited about it. It's called Bitch You Smell Good, spelled exactly how I said it, y'all. <laughs> and if you have fragrances or just want to learn more about um, fragrances and things of that nature, just that whole realm, um, you can definitely follow my page because I take people from the very bottom journey of learning your scents, learning the notes, learning where to spray them. And I'm just not showing you all of the perfume and fragrances I have in my collection. And so I'm really gonna, I want you all to be as knowledgeable as I am. So yeah, mm -hmm. you can follow that page also. Um, I always like for people to share how their um, their products or their service are self-investing in nature, which means that they contribute to their health or their well-being or their mindset. And I just want to share just my experience with even uh, with your fragrance page. I just think you're very intentional about it. You know, it's invested in, you know, the well-being of that woman, right? To feel that beauty, you know, to feel the feminine 
women, you know what I mean? That's investing in their well-being. So um, I just wanted to share that for anyone who's interested in um, following that page. And I think Clear is going to be booming. I can't wait to, you know, see you. Um, that. Jesus and pray. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> but um, Cecilia, I would love for you um, to close out the show with a self-activity statement. I know I shared it with you um, before we got on, but for anyone who's listening for the very first time, a self-activity statement is my my little spill on an affirmation. Um, it's an intentional affirmation because it has a supporting sentence. Uh, your supporting sentence is the action that helps you live out that affirmation that you want to claim. What are you going to do to support that? And that could be in your today life, just this week for your overall mission. But if you say, I am something, or I want to do something, or I want to be something, say, and this is what I'm going to do, or what this is the action I'm going to do in order to support that that thing in my life. Um, and so to see if you can close it out with just a sweet statement, I would appreciate it. Yes. I would say, this is two things. I would say, I am happy, I am at peace, and I am blessed. And everything from... What I put in my mouth, my body, my affirmations in the morning, all of those things, all of the discipline and intentionality I have from the gym will contribute and so into that. That is really the epitome of who I am. It's not the glitz and glam. Peace is not free, y'all. <laughs> Peace is not free. And that is such, that is just like the supreme being of who I am right now. Just like happy at peace and, and blessed, you know. I love it. Yes. I hope I, I, hope I did you your did it. You 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 did it. Yes. You were intentional. Um, you had a supporting statement and I'm glad that you, because <laughs> I, you know, I, I've been practicing trying to explain it to people, you know, I'm trying to get better with yeah. my speech and everything. Yeah. So I was like, I hope I, what I'm saying is making sense. I know I kind of rambled all this stuff. Like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. So again, I, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Thank I wish you the very so best. Continue to be who you are and be better versions of yourself because you're definitely needed. You know what I mean? I love to see people like you just being who they are. So everyone go check out to see this platform. Um, I hope that there's a return on the investment of the time that you spent with us today. Until next time, hold on to you as much as you can. Hold on to your health, your being, and your mind. Be mindful. Bye.